0: and iShine founder, solo parenting expert, and all-around foodie, Mr. Robert Beeson. Join us each week as we explore and engage with some of the most intriguing, inspiring, outrageous, and awesome parents in the world. This is Brilliantly Brave.
1: Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am your co-host, Pastor Brad Mathias, and I'm here in the studio with Robert Beeson. Hello, Brad. Robert, we get to do one of the funnest things ever we get to host a podcast it's true it's true it must be i'm mean, wonderful for you it is and i wanted to set the scene because you know this is season two we have some video in the in the room so people can see what we look like and what we do and how we act and stuff and i've prepared something just for you i am a super fighter yeah Robert has a giant robot on the desk, and um, yeah, that's what—that's my surprise. That was your surprise. I, I mean, I found batteries for it, and I
2: lit it up. And you're proud of yourself. I for am putting so proud.
1: I found that in a garage sale. Who knows how many years ago? This is a ginormous robot. You have to watch the video. This—it's like 18 inches high. It has this giant big pistol thing, and it's
2: so cool and this is so meaningful to parents brad
1: well i gotta tell you that parents know that if you have a good toy especially one for boys that they're gonna really be focused on that they're gonna have fun with it it's gonna inspire their imagination and it's not it's not a digital toy it's not on tv or a game it's actually an old-fashioned guy toy it's masculine
2: right whatever you say doctor
1: Oh, come on. It's so cool. And the people who go online and watch our video are going to see how cool it is. It has, like, things in his chest that light up, and then his face lights up, and he says, I am a super whatever. Anyway, it's amazing to me how different boys and girls are. And, um, <laughs> That's your segway? That was my segue. <laughs> that was it. That was a cool segue. Well, you're really good. Oh, yeah. It's Friday. Um <laughs> So you know, I've raised two daughters and I have a son, and the difference between their interests are so dramatic. I remember earlier uh, this season we we interviewed Timmy Clary and he talked about his animal and his artist, right? Mm, you and know, his children, yeah. yeah, his children. He t- he told you know called his daughter the the animal and he called his son the artist and how they were just so different. And the reality is that in parenting, there are definitely differences between. Uh, the way you have to parent uh, boys and girls. That's, That's very true. Um, we are really uh, fortunate to have today on our podcast, really, uh, probably the the most authoritative voice we could ask for in the area of dating, relationships, purity, sexuality, and that is author, speaker, and uh, great thinker, Dana Gresh. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave.
3: Hi, thank you. And that robot was a very interesting introduction, right? Brad.
1: Yeah. Well, Brad. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you, the robot has been sitting on the table this entire season. He's been quiet. He hasn't done anything. And we so, didn't know he would
3: make an appearance, right?
1: It, exactly. It was just sort of nostalgic, vintage, cool. And then I discovered batteries that actually worked. We didn't even know it worked, so it was quite a surprise that it worked.
3: All right. So I've actually done some really interesting research into the to the to the uh, impact of commercially viable toys on a child's moral development. Really? Wow. You want to know some interesting facts I do. about toys?
1: Yeah, I want to know.
3: So first of all, quiz time. Do you know what the name of the first commercially viable toy was? It was introduced by Disney. I think it was the fifties or forties.
2: It, it was, was a called, It was a what?
3: It was it was a it was a gun. Of course. And it was called the Thunderbird. The Thunderbird.
2: That <laughs> That's the first yeah, the commercial toy. Oh, I man. mean, talking
3: about boys, that's definitely a toy for boys. Once you stop but driving, the Google It really that. bears out that some of the moral development of children has been actually harmed by how many toys we have available. Because mm. um, when you talk about boys and girls and interacting and sexuality and dating, one of the things we know is that developing self control as a child in an elementary school and preschool developmental stages. Um, is very important because the self-control that they learn when they're young turns into the self-control that they have in their dating relationships, right? That makes hmm. a lot of sense. Yep.
1: Interesting, yeah. And
3: so one of the things that commercially viable toys does is it takes away a lot of the decision-making process that children for thousands of years had to go through to be entertained. So, you know, think about back in the day, like even back in the day before you're back in the day, okay? <laughs> I know you guys are spring chickens, but mm-hmm. like back in the day, kids had to decide, you know, how am I going to be entertained right now? And they'd have to go outside and they'd have to find toys or make up a game and all that um Creative role playing mm-hmm. develops the muscle of the prefrontal cortex, the front of the brain, which is what controls our executive function and our self-control. And so I'm not saying toys are all bad. I'm saying that if your child has so many toys that all day long, all they do is play with toys, that's taking away all that angsty decision-making process that helps them learn self-control and build that muscle of self-control in their brain. You know what?
2: I could not agree. Yeah, I smelled this coming. More.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying, Dana, is that I need some more self-control cuz I'm playing with my robot toy too much? <laughs> no,
2: that's not what I was going to say. That maybe what Dana's saying. Uh, maybe I
1: just feel guilty cuz I'm What I was going to say is Christian.
2: I I agree with that. I I grew up in Africa. We didn't have toys. Literally. I mean, we had maybe two that we brought over with us. But my from about 6 to Ten or eleven years old, we didn't have any toys. We didn't have any phone, damn radio. We didn't have anything, so we had to go make forts. We had to build things. We had to like use our imagination. And um, I look at now my my kids that you know that have gone through the same age, and I would have to say that you know, their you're calling it executive function or their their um, resourcefulness, creatively, and finding something to either entertain them or creatively thinking outside. It, I'm kind of astounded. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to diminish my children. I'm just saying I feel fortunate now. I didn't at the time of not having as much of now, that kind of stimulation. At the
1: at the risk of sounding obvious, you sound old when you say that. Yeah, I. I You're am. old. You know. I am. That sounds like that thing where and you're you know, insecure. Well, you have to I'm chase. a little insecure, but you're old. Okay. And That's so true. what I <laughs> what I definitely agree here, and I think is important, is that um, there is this balance, this healthy balance between stimulating the brain and actually doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I'm an outdoor guy. I love to go hiking in the woods and chase, you know, chase around the wilderness areas. I love that. But uh, there's also this thing about guys needing to be pushed. Right? Like this, like one of the first things a guy will do is grab a stick when he's six years old in the woods and it's a gun. You Mm -hmm. know, in his mind, he makes it a rifle or whatever, and he's now hunting something. Um, Guys are just naturally drawn to sort of that masculine role, that sort of challenge that we thrive on. And I think that's what you were describing. Even in South Africa, it sounds like people are just the same as they are in America. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I, I guess so. Well, I'm just saying we didn't have, we didn't have toys. And so I, and I, and I've looked back at that now and thought, you know what? I actually see that as a blessing having been brought up that way. Yeah. So anyway. You know, what
3: happened, what happens is, um, you know, let's say two, two boys go outside and they are, uh, I remember this time when my son Robbie went outside with a neighborhood boy and because of this research, I was constantly sending them outside, pushing them away from the screens that call their names Um, the average tween boy will spend like 35 hours a week in front of a screen of some type. Mm -hmm. And that's just not healthy in terms of knowing what we know about their brain-developing self-control. So remember this one time that Robbie went out and um, came back inside covered in the grossest, slimiest, blackest (laughs) sludge. And I, thought, I said, where have you been? And they had decided to cr- climb through a two-foot-wide drainage pipe. <laughs> and they had just crawled through like 20 feet of sludge And it was one of the greatest accomplishments in my 10-year-old son's life. He just thought it was the best thing in the world. But what happens is the brain has to go through the process of, do I want to go in here? It has to do risk assessment. It has Hmm. to say, is the pipe wide enough for me? Is it safe enough for me? Is that sludge toxic? Will my mom kill me when I get home? All those little decisions being made are Hmm. actually building up the muscle of the, the prefrontal cortex in the front of the brain and helps them to have self-control. you know sometimes uh, you know that, that it is dangerous and and that boy will learn the consequence of oh I caught my leg on a on a, on a nail in that pipe and had to go to the ER and that memory of consequence is an important part of the self-control process. So you know like the lesson for me as a mom is toys are okay. But there does come a time when we just need our kids to be bored enough that they want to go outside or figure out something to do.
2: I couldn't agree more. I Absolutely. Think did they? I just as a little bit of a sidebar, um, in your studies, have they found anything related to what you're talking about and the development in of you know just. I guess, toys or having something that they don't have to use this um, self-control muscle or build that up. Have they tied that into addiction at all? I, th- that's a random question. But I just, I wonder if there's any kind of, because a lot of that, or is that just? No, I think that's well, legit. I think there's a question there. Yeah.
3: It's, I think that, that's interesting. I don't know that I specifically have studied that. But I know that Dr. Joseph McElhaney, who is the founder of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health, has tied it into sexual behavior.
0: Hmm.
3: And he he says that that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, doesn't stop developing until a child, and he uses the word child, is about 22 to 25 years old. Hmm. So in terms of really assessing the risks of sexual choices, our brains aren't really ready until they're in their 20s. Now you compare that to... Um, The average age of the first inception of pornography today for a child is 11 years old. That's the average. So we have children much younger than that accessing pornography. And um, something like 14% 14 of kids are sexually active before their 14th, 15th birthday Mm. with about 60 60 to 65% of them are sexually active by their 18th birthday. And then you get into high uh, or college, rather, you get into the college scene, mm-hmm. and um, it's like 80 to 85% of the students are sexually active, and the average male has over nine sexual partners in his college years, and the average female over seven. Wow. So put that all together and think about, are these kids really ready and understanding the risk associated with the decisions they're they're making about their sexual lives, and the answer is, no, they're not ready for hmm. those decisions. We yeah. have to be involved as parents.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm listening to that and uh, watching, you know, my own kids grow up, and they were sort of on the tail end of the digital age, um, but you know, the kids today, I mean, this generation currently, if you're a parent, you've got children uh, that are in junior high or younger. Your kids have grown up in a digital age uh, where sexuality and imaging of sexuality are so prevalent, it's impossible to avoid it. And then they don't have a brain that works? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs>
0: not,
3: not all the way. Not until they're about 20. you know. Right. And, and, and the sad thing about that is once our brain finally is working, at about 26, it starts to decline.
1: <laughs> oh, well, that's wonderful. I've noticed that, actually. That. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the big picture—so a parent is listening. They've got kids. Uh, they're growing up. They're getting all of these messages, all of these voices. We're in a post-Christian culture that's hostile to the ideas of purity, the idea of of waiting for a sexual encounter until marriage. That seems so old-fashioned, almost mythic. Yeah. Um, and here we are in this culture as Christians, and we're trying to preserve that heritage of faith in our kids. You've dedicated your life to this with the books you write, with Secret Keeper Girls, with with all the things that you're doing. So what advice do you give a parent, Dana, who's who's got to decide, what are the boundaries? How do I help my kids get to marriage without regrets? How does that happen?
3: Well, I, I think one thing is... First of all, understand what God's Word says and and make your decision based on what God's Word says. What I, when I read God's Word, I can't get around, after two decades of studying sexual theology and sexual healing, because that's such a big
0: mm-hmm.
3: part of the church needs to understand how to heal these broken hearts, mine included, um, that I can't get around that God loves a monogamous, faithful sex life that's shared between one man and one woman in marriage. And I I have, I have studied from Genesis to Revelation. That is what he designed. That is what he intended. And so as a parent, I want to infuse my children with that. However, one of the things I do that's a little different from some Christian sex educators is I really want to have an intelligent faith. I want my faith to make sense or I want my decisions about parenting to make sense to someone who doesn't share my faith
0: hmm.
3: and the fact is is science just eventually catches up with God's word you know we knew God knew when he had Isaiah write about the circle of the earth that the earth was round, even though Galileo was going to be called a heretic for saying it. Hmm. You know, science catches up with God, and when it comes to sexuality, we know that science catches up with God, and one way we know this is in our hookup culture, where where there's just friends with benefits, and um, 20-somethings are treating sexual desire like an itch that you scratch. If I have sexual desire, I'm just going to call a friend. It doesn't really matter what the extent of that relationship is. I want a sexual outlet. That's how casually Today's 20-somethings treat sex. But the research really indicates that they're not calling random friends. They're calling the same friends over and over and over again. One Stanford University study said it seems like they're becoming addicted and bonded to the same friend with benefits. Why is that? Because God created us to be one with the people we have sex with. You know, the Apostle Paul says in... um, in in one of the books to the corinthians don't you know that he who unites himself to a prostitute is one with her for it is written the two will become one flesh so here's the most casual sexual relationship that you can even ever consider it's sex for pay there is no relationship here and still the apostle paul says you're still going to be one with her, physiologically one with her, spiritually, emotionally one with her, because it's written from the beginning that two people that have sex together will be bonded together. Well, we've just figured out in the last 10 years that the cocktail of chemicals that wash across the brain when we have sex with someone, the oxytocin, the vasopressin, the dopamine, that they, they, the, the 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 effect is so much like glue. Dr. Joseph McElhaney, again, of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health says, it's not just an emotional bonding, but a physiological bonding. It's like a glue from one brain to the other. You become one with the person you have sex with. And so this Stanford study found that students that were thought they were so sexually free that they could have sex with anyone they wanted, tended to hook up with the same friend over and over and over again. Friends with benefits, physically impossible. Hmm. Uh, it's oxymoronic.
2: <laughs> That's I, I, you know I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I saw I think you were on Fox or something talking about this. Um, yeah. And I remember you you the first time I heard you talk about this kind of thing, I I, I I I thought back into like friends that I know that that you know were younger than me that worked at the label and stuff and how they would struggle with this, but it was always. Yeah, I'm not I'm not together with anyone. But whenever I'd have a party or something in my house, they'd always bring the same friend with them, even though they never considered themselves tied down to this person. And they I knew for a fact that they would flirt with everybody. And it, so when you when I first heard you talk about that, I thought about there's one specific person in my mind that pops in my head. I'm like, isn't that interesting? Like and, and you said it, the Bible calls it that without but science has now caught up and said, okay, there's a reason behind that. So what, what do you say then to um, the pornography age? What, what does it do chemically with it? Because that to me is really what's getting to our kids. Um, they are exposed to so much more than I ever was, than any of us. And you know, we struggle with men at having to turn away from that because it just pops up even if you're not looking for it. So we yeah. know that this happens for kids. So how, how does a parent like navigate the, this, this world where it's virtual sex or virtual encounters? And, and, and how is that similar or different than what happens chemically with sex?
3: Well, it's similar in the fact that some of the chemicals are present. Um, The chemicals of addiction, dopamine, is one of the chemicals that washes over us when we have sex with someone. And inside the marriage relationship, that's a really good thing. Because dopamine, it's a values-neutral chemical, and it says, hey, that felt good, whatever that was. Do that again. And so it might be addiction to working out. Of course, it could be addiction to crystal meth because dopamine is a values-neutral chemical. It doesn't know whether that thing you're addicted to and that felt good was good for you. Mm -hmm. It just knows that it felt good, and it says go back to that again and again. So in marital sex, that's great, right? Because, Mm -hmm. hey, that felt good. I'm addicted to my husband. I'm addicted to my wife. That's great. But when it's pornography and you get that dopamine, you're addicted to something that will never really satisfy because it's a counterfeit. Mm God created sex to be a knowing, a deep knowing. The first time he talks about sex in the Bible, um, the word yada is used, y a d a. And our culture, you know, kind of throws that word around, yada, 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 meaning blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. Not so boring after all. It's the Hebrew word for sex, and it means to know, to be known, to be deeply respected. Hmm. So God's intention is that a husband and a wife would come together. And they deeply know one another, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and that there would be this respect associated with it. But when you take um, something like pornography, that's Satan's greatest game, because it, it completely eliminates the knowing. It allows the, the you know, the, the plumbing of sex is just the conduit to what God truly intended. The physical act is the direction, or it's like turning a light bulb on. You know, yes, you have to plug the light bulb in, you have to use a switch. But the purpose is the light, and the warmth, and the visibility. Okay, when it comes to sex, the plumbing is just the plugging it in and turning it on. The purpose is the knowing, and the warmth, and the companionship, and the respect. And so Satan's greatest game is to take away sex, or take away the intimacy of sex and the friendship of sex and the knowing of sex and to limit it to something just physical. And because you're not getting all the other chemicals, which are chemicals of relationship and belonging, just getting those chemicals in the brain that say addiction, go do it again. It's it's a recipe for disaster in our kids' lives.
1: Hmm. Wow, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking as a pastor you know, how devastating that is to families. It's like a time bomb. So this, this gets introduced into a pre-adolescent or an adolescent boy's mind, and then it blows up 20 years later, 15 years later in a marriage and destroys a family. And you see the satanic uh, sophistication of that attack. There is a yeah. definite uh, strategy to that. As we're As we're talking this through and as we're looking at these different issues in particular – uh the sexuality and uh, the behaviors how does a parent arm themselves how do they put some healthy boundaries down for their pre-adolescent or adolescent child
0: Mm
3: -hmm. well one thing is um it is not really a boundary but it's such an important factor we know that the number one risk reducer of all the things we fear as parents is parent-child connectedness according to social science And according to God's word, because he says, hey, when you sit, when you stand, when you walk with your kids, teach them the way. So being connected to them, that's not being too busy. That's us not being in our screens. That's us revolving our lives around the making and forming of these little humans and their value system so that they honor and love God. So I think that the first thing that I advise parents is don't be too busy to be connected with your kids, Mm. whatever that looks like. You know, They come home from school with a recipe from science class that's really weird and they're excited about it. Go to Walmart, buy the stuff. Cancel your plans, do it. My husband, as as Robbie, our son, was in middle school, he had a standing date at 8 p.m. Monday night to go out to a, a sports bar for wings with our middle school son, who thought it was the greatest thing in the world because he was missing bedtime every Monday night. And it didn't matter. If, they, if he was in a board meeting at 7.45, if the most important person in the world called my husband and it interrupted that 8 p.m. meeting with his son, nothing trumped eight o'clock wings with Robbie. And I think having that connection to your kids is, it doesn't seem like that would be a risk reducer for um, sexual sin, but according to God's word and according to social science, it's a really big one. And so I just encourage parents to slow down, have those connecting points with your kids. One of the connecting points is just having dinner together. Mm -hmm. You know, the average American family doesn't sit down to have dinner together and talk. They're watching TV, or they have their faces in their screens, or they're all so busy that they just eat on the run. And so I encourage families, have dinner together three to five times a week, or a meal together. Even if that means, for our family, sometimes that meet, meant eating dinner at nine o'clock at night. Hmm. So what? We had three to five dinners together because we knew that that was reducing all the things we feared could hurt our kids in their lives. So be connected.
2: I love the answer to that question. It's something that it's come up as kind of a theme recently, and that is, um, so often as Christians we're looking for the right things to say, and really the answer is it's doing the do. right thing, yeah, um, and and facilitating an environment where actual connection can take place. Like the question to you is, what should a parent say, or how should we handle this? And and really, it starts. The baseline for everything is relationship, and yeah, I, I that that's such a profound, but I mean, simple thing that we overlook so often.
3: Yeah. So it starts with being, Hmm.
2: just
1: being, you know,
3: quality time in parenting really is a myth. It takes quantity.
2: Hmm.
1: Quantity. Well, as I'm listening to you, I'm chuckling because, uh, my mother is in her late seventies and, uh, she's a character. And one thing that she did and she's, they were married almost 60 years before my dad passed one of the things that my mom did really well for me is modeled what it looked like to be in love with my dad. Mm. So there was a lot of dating going on when I was growing up. My parents would grab each other's, you know, butt or whatever. And,
3: <laughs> hey, TMI, TMI.
1: You know, I mean, that, my dad would pinch her butt and she, you know, they would just giggle and they were just sort of flirting all the time. And I, I grew up thinking that was normal. Like that, yeah. that that a couple should sort of do that, and uh, mm-hmm. even in the later years, my mom would still, you know, make just these cute little comments about, you know, I love your dad, and you know, he still yeah. got it, and that kind of thing, and sort of, you know, this, this. There was a celebration, a little bit of sexuality in our home. Yeah. Um. I'm curious what so- what should a parent do as their kids are getting older? You know, how much of that do you allow your kid to see? In the sense of. You know romantically, are you modeling that for the kids?
3: I think that's a really big deal. And in my um, I do workshops on raising sexually whole children, and of the to- of the six things that I, I outline for parents, one of them is um, building a vision for a godly marriage. So that would fall under that category. And I think anything from you know one of the things my husband told Robbie, from a really young age, was marry well. He said it over and over again. We would sit down for dinner, and he would look at Robbie and he'd say, oh, "Robbie, your mom's such a good cook. Marry well, Robbie." Or we would um, get all dressed up, and he'd say, "Oh, but Robbie, look, your mom looks beautiful. Marry well, Robbie." And hmm. he was doing kind of that same kind of thing, you know, except without the pinching the butt part.
1: <laughs> well, you gotta, you gotta know my mom. Uh.
3: <laughs> but, um, but I think uh there is a, a crisis in our culture to appreciate and affirm marriage. If you ask the average teenage girl in the 50s or 60s, what are her goals when she grew up? Absolutely, she would include being a wife and a mom. If you ask those same age girls in uh, today, they would say, uh, "I I want to have a career. I mean, I might be a wife and a mom. That's kind of okay. But... Being, having a career is more important because we've really undersold the value of, of marriage and the value of family. And so I think it's so important that we infuse that into our children. I, t- I talk about it in terms of marriage counseling for your three-year-olds. And from the age of three, four, five, when they can begin to understand family and marriage and love, we need to be modeling it and building a vision for them that it's a beautiful and phenomenal thing. Because abstinence is not about not having sex. It's about waiting to have it right. <laughs> so, so instead of telling them no, 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 we should be filling their hearts with what the yes looks like.
1: Yeah, that's so great. I love that. It's, it's, it's definitely uh, a healthier emphasis on showing them what you should be about rather than constantly telling them what they can't be about. Yeah, uh, it's definitely the glasses half
0: full, for sure.
3: And if you don't start there, it's like treating. It's it's if if somebody came to us and said, not that you guys need this, or I I might I think I probably do, and saying, hey, listen, you need to go on a diet, and they just tell you no chocolate cake, no lasagna, no sweet potato pie, no ice cream, and it's just no 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 no, and you don't tell them you're. You're going to look better. You're going to feel better. You're going to be stronger. That's how we treat sex as parents sometimes. It's all the no's instead of all of the benefits of sex. And there's so many benefits in terms of emotional, physical, and spiritual benefits of waiting to have sex that we really need to start with the yes.
1: Huh. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, Robert, do you have any uh, closing thoughts here to ask Anna?
2: Um, no, it's, I mean, yes, there's all kinds of thoughts. Every time we talk, Dana, it's been, it's, it's awesome. And it opens up other, well, what about this? And what about that? And I think the thing that, that I hear from you when you're talking about this modeling kind of marry well, or, um, and, and how women nowadays are brought up so that their number one thing is not being married. It makes me think that I think our society is so scared of dependency and, and not embracing dependency. Like, we are made for each other, but the world tells you you're enough. Like, you know, you don't need anybody else. When God made us to be in in, in tandem or in connected with someone and to become one with someone. And so I, I've never really looked at it that way, but, but since, like, hearing you talk about this, I think that that's, that's a message that I could do better at sending my kids is that—and I, th- I think, especially when I was a single dad, they knew very much that I was dependent on God because we talked about it all the time— but since I've been married again, not as much. And I think that that's something that I need to remind myself that showing our need and showing our dependence on each other as a spouse in, in front of our kids to God, I think is a really critical part of building that bridge. That's Absolutely. what I got from hmm. what you were saying.
1: Yeah, I, I think for me, um, you know, our, our children are going to hear what we do. Um, and I, as I'm listening to that, it, we've, we've done lots of these interviews now, the season two of the podcast, and there's a theme that does keep emerging with each of these guests. And that is this, there's just something irreplaceable about the time we spend with our kids mm-hmm. and, and in the church, and maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but I, I run with a lot of people in ministry. We're always trying to say the right things. We're always working so hard on doing it. You know really having these talks well and what i hear from kids and what i see is that kids really just want to be with us they Hmm. just want to hang out and it's a lot like our heavenly father Um, and so sometimes i think as parents we are in danger of majoring on the minors um, where we are focused on doing it right versus just being there And I look back on the grace of God in my life as a parent and his redemptive power. And it's always in those moments where I was broken, uh, where I didn't know what to say. Like, it it was almost like I was like, Brad, are you done? You know, like, (laughs) have you run out of words? Because now I can actually do something and speak to your daughter or your son. Mm. And it's been in those moments when I had nothing to say that the Holy Spirit really shows up. And something profound happened in my kid's
2: life. Mm. So true. Well, Dana, as always, it's so great spending time with you. And um, I, I know that I know that a lot of parents out there are going to be encouraged and have learned a lot. And um, I just uh, we love you and Bob so much and what you guys do, and so we appreciate you spending time with us today. Yes, Oh, my pleasure.
3: Yes, I love you guys too. And I, even 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 though you have robots on your. Desk, i
1: still love you <laughs> <laughs> well thank you and and the robot was my idea don't blame robert for that um for those who are listening you may not be familiar with dana i find that hard to believe she's on focus on the family frequently and family life today and she's on lots of different speaking tours you can find her at purefreedom.org purefreedom.org and you can find out about her books She's written uh, well over 50 books i think you're into the 60s now aren't you
3: no, not quite that many okay. a, a lot
2: of books a lot of books where did uh, you get that number Brad did uh,
3: you just from, make that up? from
1: a bio no I read it somewhere okay um, Anyway, I don't
3: think it's that many <laughs> well you've got great publicists working for yeah, you yeah
1: your, your publicist yeah. helped me with that <laughs> uh, so Danny, in closing would you be uh, comfortable just praying over this audience just yeah. a, a prayer of encouragement a prayer of, of affirmation
3: you bet. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you that you've given us the gift of sexuality. What a what a, precious, fulfilling, fun gift that you've given to us. Help us to hold it as something sacred because your word really says that it is. It teaches us that it is. It teaches us that marriage is a picture of the love of Christ for his bride, the church. And so as parents, help us to take that big thought And make it practical for our children. I pray that you'd protect our children from the pornography and the the really um, senseless, empty sensuality that the culture sometimes sells us. Heal our own hearts of those things so that we can be healers and directors and leaders of our children. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Thanks, Dana.
1: Thanks, Dana. You're welcome. Well, Robert, you and I go back now several years with Dana Gresh, and uh, we worked through Secret Keeper Girls and uh, the Tween Gospel Alliance. We've gotten to know her and her husband, Bob, um, just an amazing lady, super smart, super innovative in the way she engages these, these issues. Uh, once again, I, I found myself uh, so encouraged and informed
2: uh, from spending 40, 40 minutes talking with her. I agree. I, every time... And I, I said this to her, but I, I, I mean it. Like, every time we spend time with her, I learn a little bit more. And what I love probably more than anything, I just... Um, she's so smart. She knows the Word of God so well. Um, but almost like no other, she is so transparent and, like, just not afraid to... Sex is a hard thing to talk about. And she just is so comfortable getting into the thick of it. And it makes people that are not as comfortable feel like, okay, I can do this. And so I, I love that about her. And I think that uh, if you are listening and you haven't seen her live or gone to our website or got her books, they, they exude the same transparency. And I couldn't encourage you more to, to look her up. Yeah. I-
1: for those who aren't familiar and and it's weird because some pockets of the christian culture really know who she is and others have never heard of her if you haven't heard of dana before you should really check it out especially if you're parenting uh kids that are in the adolescent years who are beginning to date who are beginning to think about their you know form their sexual identity she's just really done the work on this Uh, one of her most recent books is and the bride wore white um in lies, young women believe with Nancy Demoss. Um, she's considered really one of the leading experts on sexual purity and relationships and mm-hmm. modesty, and and just sexuality, just sexuality. She's been on Fox News. She's been she's
0: she's been on everywhere,
1: yeah. everywhere. and She's on most radio networks at any given time during the week. She has her own TED Talk, which is really good. Um, yeah, I mean, she did a TED Talk on tolerance for virginity. Mm -hmm. I mean she's fearless she goes after this stuff Mm -hmm. she did a book uh after the 50 shades of gray thing came out and and really kind of uh refuted some of the premise of that book and the idea of 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 that author's um image of sexuality and so she took some heat for that she's been national press but the one thing you and I get to see is sort of that behind the scenes Mm -hmm. um and she's the real deal absolutely i mean she loves god with all her heart and 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 her life is not you know charmed she doesn't have like you know perfect family she has a normal family like everyone else and she is faithfully engaging this topic and uh, i find that remarkable me too yeah so as she was talking um just kind of a wrap-up thought i mean This idea of this hookup culture that she talked about, Mm -hmm. I think that's foreign to you and I. Like, like we were in the party culture, which Mm -hmm. was a little bit more like you got drunk and did things you regret, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, And in this more millennial age, this is much more cerebral. Yeah. Like like they're just sort of like okay, permissive about anything. Yeah. So just a scratching. In some ways, that's really different. Uh, and in other ways, it's quite similar. But as a parent, if you've got kids who are beginning to socialize, they're getting into the later junior high years and early high school years, you need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Like you need to know that the friends with benefit thing is real, Absolutely. and and those stats were pretty significant. Sixty-five percent of kids in high school are sexually active, eighty-plus percent of kids in college are sexually active. Um, that's pretty high. Yep. Yeah, that that's definitely
2: higher than I think than when we were going through those stages. Without a doubt. Well, it just it talks, it to me that speaks to mindset. That so just the mindset of this generation is very, very different. And they have a different view of sexuality because they've been desensitized. It's everywhere. So it's very transactional. There's not a lot of depth to it. Yeah. And then the
1: physiology there of how there's, you know, how the science actually catches up with the Bible. I love that quote. Yeah. Um, and this idea that there's a glue physiologically, you yeah. know, that these chemicals Chemically. actually combine and form a glue. Uh, between partners, and, and the
2: Bible said that 4,000 years ago. Yeah, you know? that's so good. <laughs> it's like, okay. Well, that has to do with the person the being that made us i mean well he kind of had a head start right (laughs) yeah
1: so this whole dopamine connection and this idea that dopamine is released you know it's a neurotransmitter it's released when there's pleasure or there's pain and uh it starts to form this memory and then there's an addiction to that and how the roots of all these addictions come back to to this this one chemical and you begin to realize that when you're when you're playing with sex or when you're playing with with sexuality you're playing with fire mm-hmm. i mean these are things that actually can permanently affect you and so as parents that's a sort of a sobering thought yeah. and t- today's talk was a little bit sobering it should be i agree all right well if you've uh, been a fan of the show um you realize that this is the time where we lighten it up a little bit and we have a you know just a little insight from winston our chorky winston <clears> is my uh, chorky well, uh, it's Robert's chorky, but he's adopted me because I give him a lot of white cheese. But last time we talked,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there was a statement you made about cucumbers and grain.
2: No, I said they're great. No, you said cucumbers were grain. Cucumbers are great. Okay. We're growing cucumbers. I'm I know just what telling they you,
1: are. cucumbers are actually a fruit, and Winston and I checked it out. And uh, along with cucumbers, nuts are fruits. And I didn't know that. Hmm. Did you know that? Yes, I did. Well, you are culinary. So because you sort of are the expert on the culinary things, you're the foodie, the cook, I'm going to share something with you that Winston and I went and researched about things that I would be knowledgeable on. And so I'm going to ask you a question, Robert. What is the largest area of contiguous wilderness in the lower 48 states?
2: The Appalachian Trail.
1: No, but that was a good guess. I'll give you some serious credit for that. Do you know it's actually the uh, the ridge of Northern California and Southern Nevada and the Sierras? Hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> So, like, there's an irony Uh, right there. Winston knew there was an irony, and that is that California is, like, one of the most populous states, and it Mm. also has the largest piece of undeveloped, uninterrupted wilderness in the lower United States. Yeah, that is remarkable. Outside of Alaska. Mm -hmm. So, that's the only caveat there. It's 2.4 million acres, and it's the Sierra Nevada Crest, and if, if you go to Yosemite, you're just touching a little bit of that, so... I thought that was cool and I would love to take Winston on one of those wilderness hikes somewhere in the Sierra Nevadas.
2: That's not gonna happen. I'd
1: have to put him on my back, wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Like a you'd backpack. To, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's okay. And and you'd have to like Defend get him away him. from Barbara because oh, that won't happen. Yeah, well maybe yeah, I'd have to do She doesn't let her husband take Winston on trips, so Wow. Doubtful. So
1: yeah. she has a he has a protective
2: mother. Okay. Slightly.
1: Well, thanks again for joining uh, Brilliantly Brave Parenting. And if you've been enjoying this, uh, share it with friends and follow us on iTunes and rate us, give us a like. Thank you very much, God bless. See you next week. See you next week.
0: Parents, remember, even if you may not feel brilliant or brave, you are. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 13. This podcast is a service of iShine Ministries and the Tween Gospel Alliance, all rights reserved. Donations to Brilliantly Brave are tax-deductible at iShineLive.com. Review and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or on our webpage. And read our blog and connect with us at wordpress at brilliantlybrave.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brilliantly Brave. check us out at iShineLive.com.
1: and join us next week for thomas purifoy he's the film producer and researcher behind science and faith is genesis history this is a thinking explorative discussion about the origins of the universe and faith so we hope you can join us next week on brilliantly brave podcast